This podcast is sponsored by Rehoy & Son, big supporters of local sport. Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Our thanks once again to Rehoy and Son for their support of the show. Coming up this week, we speak to the new chairman of Alderney Nomads, their former goalkeeper, James Taylor, about where football is heading in their island and how he wants to help. We've also been catching up with former island player Jack Isabel. A year or so ago, he was diagnosed with a form of blood cancer. The good news is he's now well on the road to recovery. He's been telling us about the support he received from the Guernsey community, his fundraising plans to give something back, and how he hopes he's still got a role to play on the pitch in a green shirt. Uh, all that to come, plus the latest from the Stranger Cup. I'm Tony Kerr, and alongside me, as ever, is Gareth the Prevot. Hi, Tony. Great to see you, Gareth, an Everton <laughs> fan. Busy afternoon on Twitter for you. I've had it sort of uh, on my screen all day, waiting for the uh, inevitable <laughs> to happen, and it sort of finally came through, not via the official channel of the actual club itself, but yeah, it came through at uh, about three o'clock that Frank Lampard had actually gone the writing had been on the wall let's be fair um but yes as an Evertonian I will say I think our club's in one heck of a mess anyway and uh, I feel a bit sorry for Frank he's I think his inexperience has shown in the end but there's a lot more issues at that club to sort out as well as the manager so um yeah I'll, I'll, I'll see how things go over the coming weeks but I'm I'm not particularly optimistic that I'll be supporting a Premier League club next season to be honest well you've still got a smile on your face though uh, oh yeah That's well the most important thing. It's, it's not the it's not the end of the world is it <laughs> Not the end of my world, anyway. Well, biggest football uh, of the week to look forward to for me is uh, Newcastle in a cup semi-final. Or the first, first leg of a semi-final tomorrow night. So absolutely buzzing about that. It's been a while. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will actually say one thing, Tony. And when Everton appointed, I think it was Rafa Benitez, I actually wanted Eddie Howe as our manager. And not many Everton fans wanted him. I think they'd probably change their tune now. I think he's <laughs> done a hell of a job and fair play to him. Well, we'll be keeping uh, very close eye on that, of course. But our job here today is to talk local football. Um, let's start with what's been happening on the pitch over the weekend. Um, Gareth, uh, you've been down at the KG5 to see a bit of the Stranger Cup action as the group stages um, rounded up. Um, yeah, who made it through and how did they get there? Yeah, well, I was down to see the, the final game of the group stage, actually, but it was the, the decisive game in Group B, which was between Sylvans and St Martins. Um, they were level on points going into the game, having both lost to North but beaten Bells. And um, Sylvans actually only needed a draw because of the goal difference. They were um, one ahead of Saints on goal difference. Um, and I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I'll offer an apology straight away to Sylvans. I actually sort of when I turned up alongside our photographer, I said to him, I'd make Saints favourites of this game probably best to head down the get the end there attacking. I was right in the first five minutes because they opened the scoring through Fraser McGuinness, but after that I thought Sylvans were really good. I, I was very impressed with um, with the maturity they showed for such a young side. Um, Mike Garnett and um, Martin Govine, his assistant, assistant, have got got them well drilled, and they certainly they played to a game plan. Um, they got an equaliser through Simon uh, Arnold, who took it really well. It was basically a long clearance from Nick Batty's the goalkeeper. And there was a bit of hesitation in the Saints' defence and Simon Arnold just ran onto it and lobbed um, Ollie Harrison with a really, really clinical finish. And then after that, it was it was pretty much sort of like even Stevens, to be fair. Sylvan certainly gave as good as they got. And um, 
by sort of like the last quarter of the game, Saints was almost running out of ideas a bit, really. They sort of like they didn't really threaten another goal. And um, yeah, Simon Arnold actually went and sort of doubled his and his side's tally with a. He, it, the shot did get a deflection, but he, I think he earned that bit of luck. He was one who sort of chased down the ball, blocked uh, clearance, and uh, he earned that bit of luck, and it, it gave them the win. Um, Saints went on to end the game with only 10 men. I mean, it was a bit unfortunate for young goalkeeper Ollie Harrison. It was uh, it, There was nothing malicious in it. It was just sort of like he came out of his box to try and clear a ball, and uh, he was just beaten to the ball by Sam, uh, by, sorry, uh, by, by Jack Smith, and... Uh, the collision ended up and there was no real option but to send the keeper off just because it was a it was a clear goal scoring opportunity with with Saints having so many men upfield because they, they were looking for goals um so yeah they ended up with uh, the the rare sight of Simon Gill in goal which uh, did give me a bit of a chuckle <laughs> but um yeah so fair play to Sylvans they're the ones who who qualified along with North from from group B um they uh, the other semi-finalists Rovers already through anyway and they ended up uh, finishing their group stage with a, with a relatively comfortable 3-0 win uh, 3-1 win over Rangers I believe on Saturday afternoon but um yeah, Valrec with the other side to get through. They knocked out the holders, the Ireland under-18s, on Friday night. Um, the under-18s actually took the lead, but um, I think Mark Romerall gave his side a, just a few tweaks at half-time, what have you. I think they were ahead by half-time. They were 2-1 up, and they went on to win the game very comfortably, 7-1. Um, Jacob Marston-Pipe was like the shining light. Um, they've, they've credited him with a hat-trick. I think one of them was perhaps arguably a known goal from from what I understand, but he obviously had a, a big impact on the game anyway. And uh, yeah, so Valrec with the the other side to go through with Rovers from that group. And there was another illustrious name on the score sheet for Rec as well. <laughs> yeah, so I got a, I actually got a message from Friday night. <laughs> it must have been just after the final whistle blown from a, a young Harry Jones telling me, I know what my the headline should be, Jones puts Rec into the semi-finals. So, uh, yeah, he got the last goal of the seven. I don't think it was that important by that stage. But, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll hear about it in full glory the next time we see him in person. Well, he's scored more goals than me this season uh, with that one. Um, yeah, I guess as well for Sylvans, yeah, great result. And, you know, given, um, you know, how they've gone in the, the league so far and the form that Saints were carrying into the Stranger Cup, you know, that's probably, well, their best result of the season best performance of the season it probably is yeah I mean I, I haven't actually seen much of Sylvans this year it, it's not unusual with a with a side which has got sort of so much youth in it that they're going to be inconsistent but um yeah I, I think sort of I actually think the the KG5 suits them they, they've got plenty of energy that they didn't stop running throughout the whole 90 minutes it's quite sort of close confines in there and um they play to a game plan and it, it worked a treat and uh yeah they'll they'll certainly look forward to, they'll they'll go into their semi-final as underdogs who you know that that's probably um goes without saying but they should fancy their chances against anyone they should be able to give um their opponents a decent game anyway for sure yeah something to play for for mike garnett's side in the stranger cup um yeah we're back into the prayer league aren't we this weekend um four games on the schedule and a dryish week as well so hopefully um yeah all the pitches should be in uh reasonable condition at least they should might be playable, frozen hopefully yeah. <laughs> they could be frozen by the weekend yeah. um yeah sylvan's hosting rovers uh as the pre-league gets back underway um velrec uh, take on rangers 
Saints have got bells um, coming to Blanche Pierre Lane. And we're going to hear about Alderney in a moment. They've got a, a big test in the shape of North who head up there on Saturday, all four games on Saturday. So, um, yeah, Stranger Cup uh, group stage done and dusted and back to the league this weekend. Um, we'll just mention Guernsey FC because um, we've got a couple of interviews to come. But, uh, yeah, they didn't have a game on um, Saturday in the end. That one fell foul of a frozen pitch. Um, but they've got a busy week, two home games uh, to come in, in a matter of days, Wednesday night and Saturday. Yeah, they um, they were due to head off and play um, Westfield on Saturday, but I think a lot of the fixtures fell foul to the weather in England. I, I speaking to Tony Vance on Friday afternoon, just after the decision had been made after the pitch inspection, I think he was a bit disappointed. He, he suddenly had a, a squad to to um, oh, sorry, he had he had uh, enough players where he actually had to disappoint some players by not picking him for a squad, which is an unusual situation for him this season. And he was going to get a couple of big name players back. Certainly, Kieran Mahon has now um, completed his suspension, and Ross is getting Ross Allen's getting back to fitness, and he would have been, I think, include travelling for that game. So um, hopefully, he'll be back uh, Wednesday when South Park visit. Foots Lane, uh, 7.45 kickoff. That was the game which got postponed on the bank, the New Year bank holiday because of um, travel problems. It was a beautiful day and um, yet yeah, South Park couldn't make it here. So that's that one rearranged. And um, although South Park are fifth in the league, I believe they just lost at home to Thatcham. So, you know, it's one of those things. That every side we see is sort of like capable on their day, but also beatable. So um, I think GFC should go into that home game with um, a fair degree of confidence after winning their last home game so yeah fingers crossed they get to get a result there and I believe uh, any result would probably lift them off the foot of the table so there's certainly um, an incentive there for them yeah all to play for and uh, as you say GFC still at the bottom but Sutton Common Rovers who they beat um, just the other week um, to break that home duck uh, yeah GFC have got five games in hand on now somehow with uh, with all these kind of cancellations and postponements so um, yeah long way to go this season and um, yeah as we said Gareth um, they welcome South Park on Wednesday night 7.45 kickoff and then um, a team sort of nearer the top in the shape of Marlow coming to the island on Saturday um, that one is a 2pm start Marlow up in fourth so yeah an interesting and busy week ahead for GFC um, right that's it for part one coming up next Next, we'll be hearing all the latest from Alderney. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're not already, do hit follow or subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast to get every episode delivered to you every Monday. Now, it has been um, a mixed season, I think it's fair to say, for Alderney. Um, more downs than ups probably so far. They had the a big disappointment um, from the Island Games, not going to be involved this summer. One of the teams drawn out of a hat to miss out on the men's draw because of um, the number of teams who had applied to play in the tournament. So that was a, a massive disappointment. They also find themselves bottom of the FNB Premier League um, at the halfway stage. Just one win to their name from the 12 games. Goal difference of minus 37. So it has been um, really difficult. That said, um, there's a bit to look forward to. They've, of course, got a Marathi semi-final with Jersey to come in about two months time that one I think on the 25th of March um, so uh, yeah I'm sure they're starting to think about that and all eyes are on it but uh, yeah some changes off the field as well this season um, they've got a new chairman uh, in the shape of James Taylor the uh, former goalkeeper who's uh, put in some absolutely heroic displays uh, over the years um, for the nomads and um, now from being between the sticks he's uh, giving back 
off the field. He's taken over as chairman of the club from Reg Atkins and our colleague Simon Delery, who was up in Alderney on Saturday um, to talk tax and GST with the politicians. Um, got a chance to catch up with him as well. And, um, and I'm sure Dale enjoyed having a bit of reprieve from the tax stuff to talk football. So James Taylor, thanks very much for uh, joining us on the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Um, can I ask you, first of all, about uh, your role uh, here in football and uh, and how it came about, how long you've been in it? So, yeah, um, thanks very much for having me. Um, so, really, my role here um, started probably about six years ago, five, six years ago, in that I became involved in the football team, probably based on my experience back in England. I uh, played at a semi-professional level. I think they got wind of it on Ireland and asked me if I'd come along and do some training. Obviously, then the natural step was to start playing for the Nomads. Um, had a couple of really, really good seasons. Enjoyed some fantastic results away at the Ireland Games. And um, just over a year ago, decided to hang the boots up, um, probably due to my body feeling, it, etc., etc. And then recently, um, Reg Atkins, our former chairman, uh, due to ill health, unfortunately, has um, gave up the position and the committee have decided to ask me if I would take up the position. For me, I felt it was really important that I've shared some fantastic experiences. I do know that there's a lack of resources on Ireland and um, I, I owed it really to give something back to the community and uh, take up this role to see if I could see what I could do to help them out. Um, so you have enjoyed some really good times here uh, in Alderney football and we'll come, we'll come to perhaps uh, some, some memories of those uh, uh, later. But um, it's probably fair to say, isn't it, that um, you're not enjoying such good times now at the moment. There's certainly your Prio League campaign at the moment is uh, not as successful as perhaps a couple of years ago. And obviously there's the bitter blow of the situation with the Ireland Games this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously um, if you look at the results, they speak for themselves. We clearly are struggling. You only have to look around the pitch when we're playing to see one, maybe two people on the bench. Um, and that really is a number of things, really. Um, Covid's obviously had an impact. Uh, we would have relied back in a couple of years ago, we would rely on a few sort of um, transient sort of workers on the island, uh, builders, hospitality industry would help top up the numbers for us. Obviously, due to COVID and travel restrictions and issues away from home, they're not here. Um, the, the players we had when we were successful were probably um, experienced um, to the point where they probably only had one or two seasons left to give it 100% at that level. They've obviously had to step down, obviously myself included. And it's left a hole, unfortunately. Um, we're such a small island with a, a very small population. You know, you're looking at 1,800 people. We don't have that pool of people to pick from. Um, and it's um, my job to really um, try and improve that and attract people. I know for a fact, having played in Guernsey, there's huge benches um, in the pre-O of players sat there not getting a game. Uh, you know, I'd love to say to them, come to Alderney, we'll give you a game. Um, you can play regularly for us and we'll give you pre-off football on a regular basis. Would that need to involve them moving to Alderney themselves? Not necessarily at all, no. Uh, bearing in mind we play two-thirds of our games in Guernsey. Uh, that's a guarantee really of two-thirds of the games to start with. And as much as we subsidise our players going to Guernsey, anybody that signs for us and plays for us regularly would be subsidised if they came to, to Alderney to support and, and play for us. Right, because I was imagining that um, you know, given the problems, the the the, the very the very varied uh, sort of suite of issues that you're facing, that um, it was going to be quite difficult to plot a route through that. But that that's a very specific measure that you feel you can take that could overcome all these problems. 
I think so. I think it's, it's about looking around the bailiwick and saying, what can we do to sort of improve numbers? Because if we look on Ireland, the numbers are just not here. Um, and we're relying on older players coming back and filling in those spots. It's a temporary fix. We need a more permanent fix. And we know the numbers are in Guernsey and it is a very competitive league. Um, and we want to compete again. You know, those couple of years where we were competing at that level, the whole island has a buzz about it, you know, and we want to bring that back. Do you think um, that you'd be able to retain the, the strength of the identity of the team if you if you were sort of bringing in you know foreigners, if you like, for um, Guernsey players? Yeah, I think so. I think obviously the nucleus it will still be um, Alderney, um, and as any club, you know, Manchester still got his identity. Manchester United, and you know, I would say twenty percent of their players are only Manchester born and bred. Um, so we have our identity, our style of play, um, and it's important that we we uh, look after that. And in terms of um, the sort of, sort of playing style, how has that evolved uh, for Alderney over the years? Is it entirely dependent on just the sort of availability of players at any one time? Or do you, do you feel like you have a playing identity as well? I think with the availability of players at the moment, it's been very difficult to stick to, if you like, um, the tactics and strategy that Josh Kincannon, the manager, introduced probably four maybe five years ago. Um, I saw a, a, a difference from a style where it was a case of OK, guys, let's go out there, play as a team, get the crosses in the box and let's see if we can get on the end of it to a specific strategy that Josh sort of drilled the team on. And although at the time in training it was very difficult because we were just rep- repeatedly going over the same drills, he was trying to get that strategy into us and that style of play. Um, it's very difficult when you've got a lack of resources to play on those strengths and you do have to adapt to that. And unfortunately, we've, we've struggled to adapt and that's where the poor results have come in, really. You, despite the uh, the setbacks and the difficulties, you, you seem to have quite a positive outlook at, um, about the, the way forward. Do you, do you feel um, that's reflected in the mood generally among footballers over here, or do you feel that needs to be lifted as well? Is that an issue? Um, no, I was at the last home game, and the mood around the, the, the club itself is quite um, positive. We've got some. Um, there's definitely an influx of people coming to visit us um, at home games that have moved onto the island that are really positive, want to get behind the club. Obviously, the results are disappointing, um, but you know they're passionate about the locals. You know that they want us to do well, um, and obviously, hopefully, we can turn the tide and, and bring those results back. Um, looking ahead, uh, I, well, I was at the last uh, Marathi semi-final. Great game. Um, you've got Jersey coming over on uh, March the twenty-fifth. Um, what, what are your what are your hopes? Well, I was going to, what are your hopes for that game? You want to win it, obviously, but I mean, how how are you feeling in terms of your preparations uh, ahead of that? Yeah, this time of year is always difficult, obviously, because of the infrastructure that we've got, which is as a committee we're trying to work hard to improve. Um, our previous um, chairman Reg Atkins built some fantastic foundations for us as a club. You know, he, re- he really helped with getting the charter standard for the club, um, improving funding streams. Um, uh, creating the junior nomads for example and found a lot of funding for the clubhouse extension that's currently being built part of that dream really and part of our five-year plan is to improve the infrastructure so that we can train in the winter months which is very difficult there's very very little facilities on island to allow us to train in the, the really poor weather and really that takes um we can go a number of weeks without having a training session really and that is really impactive so as the the, the, the um, days get longer and we're able to get out there more we usually see more intensive training. The lads are training, you know, three, four times a week in preparation for Marathi. We get the players back who are uh, locals who are obviously playing out in the UK um, back for that game. 
Um, so the, the, the team will be strengthened. Um, hopefully we can have the numbers and still make it a competitive affair. And looking further ahead, um, I, I realise I'm picking up a saw here, but I mean, uh, is there, have, you, have you completely sort of let go of the disappointment of the Island Games uh, situation? Or is there some residual hope that, you know, maybe what if a couple of uh, countries pull out? That sort of thing? Yeah, I think, I think the cut-off date was December for any pull-outs or any changes to teams. So obviously we've, we've got to let it go. It does hurt not to be involved. Bear in mind for us, obviously, we're still entitled because we're within the bailiwick to hold a game here um, should the organisers feel it appropriate. We could still hold games in Alderney and we've still got the facilities to it, able to achieve that. But then not to be involved it is, is really disappointing. You know, bearing in mind, we have committed to the last two Ireland games um, and we feel that we were an integral part of that. We've had some fantastic results. We are competitive. The Island Games is about inclusivity and participation, and, and that's all we want. We want to be included and participate. And we were hoping maybe for a resolution with there being three teams cut out at the time that maybe they would have been included and uh, accommodated. But unfortunately, that's not been the case, and we have to accept it. Being in the role of chairman, it must obviously be quite a demanding and, and, and uh, a busy role, I would imagine. You're also a police sergeant over here in Alderney. We're, we're sitting here in the uh, above the police station, which I've visited before, but we don't need to go into that. Um, are you able to sort of juggle the two demanding roles? And I mean, you know, how much of your time is taken up with, with uh, thoughts of uh, Alderney's football future? Um, more than I thought it would have done to start with, but I think that is um, sort of groundwork. I think once I've um, implemented and laid the groundwork that I want, um, so, for example, streamlining the way we work as a committee, um, able to share information um, in a more, uh, in an easier way. So making use of available technology, Google Drives, etc., central point of emails rather than using personal emails um, so that we can share distribution lists, just making it more efficient uh, and bringing it a little bit more up to date, I suppose. Um, that, that will assist and that helps us. It's just the groundwork to go into that at the moment. I do spend a lot of my, my free time in trying to organise that, but I think that's just setting the foundations and once that's done, it'll make the role a lot easier. There are a few changes that we're hoping to make as a committee, uh, very lucky, and what makes my job a lot easier is before I took the role on, the committee got together and streamlined the role of chairman so that there wasn't so much responsibility. So we've added a membership secretary now, we've got a secretary, we've got a welfare officer, a treasurer, all the usual stuff, but the role of the chairman has been uh, modified so that there's not as much responsibility on me um, I've got a fantastic committee that help out uh, and make my life a lot easier, really, and, and I can trust them to go away with tasks and complete them on, on behalf of the club. And um, looking back on your sort of playing career with Alderney, have you got a favourite memory, uh, uh, sort of a, a personal memory? Um, a couple, really. Obviously, um, we was playing away at uh, Gotland and um, we had a 3-0 win against Falklands. Um, I think is still down as our biggest international win. Uh, it was a fantastic result for the club. Um, I have fond memories of that. But I, I suppose the 2-1 away win when we was at Innismon, um was probably the, my most poignant memory, a happy memory. Just in that, it was a very difficult game. It was, it was, I remember there was long grass on the pitch. They were very organised and they're a very professional outfit, the Orkney Islands. And my previous game against them was at Gotland Games and we got beat 3-0. I think that was my first international match. So to be able to pull that result out of the bag um, on an extremely hot day with long grass on a slopey pitch, um, 
was fantastic for us, really. And I remember the mood afterwards. It's, it's, you'd, you'd have thought we've, we'd won the games the way we were. But for Alderney, a win is all it takes for us to be successful. We're such a small team and, and, and so few facilities. The singing on the bus and the party that we had afterwards was fantastic. Um, it was just a shame, really. Um, Joe Blackham scored the winning goal. Uh, I think it was in about the 89th minute or something like that. And um, he's just signed for Vale Rec. We've just lost Joe to Vale Rec, unfortunately. So we wish him all the best in that endeavour. And hopefully he will return to us in the future. Uh, my editor, James Fuller, was predicting that one of your favourite memories might involve uh, a, 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 club, a game against uh, a club of his. Uh, he was in, involved in some basement outfit by the name of uh, CF Independence. Oh, um, but, yes. Uh, Apparently you scored a quite spectacular overhead kick when you came up in the last minute as a keeper, is not it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, I've forgotten about that one, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> he hasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they came over and um, we, I think it was a pre-season friendly that we played and they were one nil up for the majority of the game. And in, in the dying moments of the game, it was one of the old, let's throw the keeper up front. And our um, other goalkeeper, Jamie Leband, was taking the corner. I know Jamie's got a really good punt on him, so I stood to the far back side of the corner of the uh, box, and he punted it over. And I remember the ball flying over to me, and I remember a couple of weeks earlier I'd had a headed opportunity in another game that I played outfield for to help out, and I completely messed up the header. So I remember this ball coming to me and looking at it and thinking, right, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it, it got to the stage where I thought, if I don't do anything now, I'm going to miss it again. And I just threw my body at it in a sort of overhead bicycle kick, connected with it. Just completely sweetly, it went in the top corner. Um, I thought I was going to get gold of the season for that, but apparently pre-seasons don't count, so... <laughs> That's a shame. Actually, talking about um, pre-seasons uh, reminds me of something I was going to ask you, but going back to the subject of the Ireland Games, which is, obviously, there's going to be a lot of lot of teams coming over to play in Guernsey. You, you've mentioned that you're actually eligible to host one or two of those if if possible, and you're keen to do so. Um, might you also be able to invite quite a few uh, of the teams over here for sort of pre-games friendlies and, and get some more play that way? Yeah, absolutely. So after the disappointment, as a committee, we've sat there and looked at what we could possibly do to sort of still have some of that sort of um, spoils of the Ireland Games, if you like, and um, some of the potentialists to We have looked at maybe going to Guernsey, but obviously accommodation and, and travel will already be uh, at its maximum. So the ideal um, situation would be to offer friendlies over in Alderney, um, get the fans down, get the bar busy, uh, help the club out and, and give the other teams um, uh, a warm-up game, a friendly game, um, so we can enjoy that for ourselves. And motivation would be high for that, wouldn't it? If you were to win one or two of those, that would be a bit of a demonstration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We we do. We do. There's no doubt about it. We need a little pick up, you know. Um, and we're going through a bit of a dark patch at the moment, you know. But we owe it as a club. The community put so much money into the team, you know. We raise in excess of thirty thousand pound a year to be able to play in the Prio. We have to pay two of, two out of three of our games away from home. Um, our limited home games bring in a little bit of income for us and it's really important that we get those um, and it's important that because of the commitment the community make to us as players although we're going through a difficult time it's important for us to make sure as a committee as a club and as a community that we keep the team going um, because we are struggling for numbers and it might well be that we have to look for other options with regards to which league we're playing in to try and continue that but we need to keep the team going we need players out there that want to play. Um, we owe it to the future generations, you know, the junior nomads that are now going. 
we want to have the infrastructure for them so that we lay the foundation so that they've got an opportunity when they get older and they can share the same memories of the Island Games and the Marathis. Alderney's new chairman, James Taylor, speaking to my colleague, Simon Delarue. As I mentioned earlier, they welcome North to the Arsenal ground this weekend. Um, so a big test as the Premier League gets back underway. Interesting to see whether they can cause an upset in that one. Now, around this time last year, former Ireland player and Marathi winner Jacques Isabel announced that he'd been diagnosed with a form of blood cancer. As you probably know, he went public in the hope of getting some help to support the cost of his treatment. And it prompted a massive response from the local football community, from the island as a whole and people further afield. Um, well, 12 months on, I'm pleased to say he's had some fantastic news and is now looking forward positively um, to making a full recovery. So much so, he's planning a big fundraising effort in the summer. He's going to be cycling from Land's End to John O'Groats. And he's even targeting a return to the Island squad with a big few months of football ahead. It was great to catch up with Jacques um, to find out about his journey over the last 12 months and what he's got planned. So, yeah, diagnosed uh, January, around January 10th, January 11th, um with chronic myeloid leukemia. So yeah, it came as a, as a bit of a shock. I was sick from November the 5th. Um, I remember I'd been out with friends and then fell ill on the Monday, um, and just had bouts of illness, continuous illness, coughing, and I did antibiotics and I went to one doctor, I went to another doctor, had a chest X-ray, had an inhaler, I was literally given everything you could imagine. And, um, yeah, no one ever pinned down the diet what was wrong with me really no one diagnosed me properly they thought it was asthma then a chest infection then another chest infection uh came out to Guernsey for Christmas I'd lost a load of weight so yeah I was really deteriorating and then um I actually went to do a long COVID test because I'd convinced myself it's long COVID and then I had a blood test uh luckily <laughs> um and yeah my white blood cell count was sort of over half a million so yeah, they contacted me pretty quickly, got me into hospital the next day. And yeah, when you when you get sent to the fifth floor in the hospital and there's not another person there apart from the oncologist and a nurse, um, that's when you know you're, you're in a bit of trouble. So and then you see the cancer leaflets on the uh, on the wall. So, yeah, you can sort of diagnose yourself before you go in and get told. So, yeah, that was a uh, interesting moment. And so, I mean, it sounds like you, you know, you kind of responded to the situation in a really kind of positive and constructive way and you, you know you obviously like a year on from that diagnosis you, you you know it sounds like you've got you know you're just trying to give a lot back and trying to help out kind of people that, that are following on I mean for you you know obviously you played football all your life and you know you, you've you know you come across or you, you've always come across as someone who's really looked after yourself I mean how much of a, of a shock was it to you yeah as, as, as a quite an athletic person to to be sort of struck down with something like this yeah, leukemia is a tricky one because there's no answers. Um, you know, a smoker who gets lung, can lung cancer, you know, that, that's the answer and you can pin it on that. And leukemia is a funny one because they don't really have an explanation for it. Um, the one thing that can happen is if you're exposed to radiation, which I wasn't. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a funny one for the mind because you do want to ask the question, you know, why me and why has it happened? Um, and you can ask as many professionals as you want, but they, they'd never be able to, to have an answer, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was frustrating because I, like you said, I've always looked up, looked after myself, always conditioned myself, always ate well as well. I've, I'm, 
you know, I've studied and looked into my nutrition and that's always been a, a strong point for me um, and stayed fit and in tip top shape. And yeah, when you get given news like that, it's a bit of a bit of a kick. Um, but I mean, you can't really dwell on it for too long because there's no point because there is no explanation and it wasn't in my control. So uh, what I could control was the recovery and looking after myself and making sure that, you know, I optimize my health as best as I possibly can in terms of the foods I'm eating and the water I'm drinking and, you know, getting out in sunlight and doing ice baths and making sure I rest and recover, but also making sure I train well as well. So, um, yeah, I've just kept myself really strong and really fit, um, bit by bit, because when I was first diagnosed, I was sort of very light and weak. Um, so it was a case of just walking, um, walking and yoga really for a couple of months and then slowly introducing body weight exercises. Um, so yeah, all the things I could control, I did as best as I possibly can. And it's obviously paid off because in nine months, um, yeah, my, my readings are undetectable in my blood test. So I look at, I've connected with a few people with the same, um, type of leukemia with myself. And there's a, there's one guy I connected with in Dubai, in Dubai and he, even when I spoke to him about six months ago, he said, you know, I'm inspired by what you've done so far. You've done more in four took three, four months and I've done in two years and I've overtaken him on his journey because he's on the same treatment path as me. So his numbers are hovering, um, you know, just above that undetectable reading. So they're going up and down. He's sort of on a, on a little zigzag effect, whereas mine have gone all the way down and sort of flatlined. So I can imagine it's quite frustrating for someone like that. And, but, you know, I had it in my, I, I had it in my head and I've, I've actually written it down every day. So I started journaling. I've, I've written it down that I will get to treatment free. And I wrote it down. I've got, I've got my diary from the last however long, which would be an interesting one to read back. But yeah, I've written it down every single day. I've got my diary. Which I've got the, what, does it, what was the point? Yeah, positive affirmation. So I write one positive affirmation. That I write the same thing every day for eight months. And, and it's happened. So yeah, it just shows sort of, you know, mental resilience and mental strength and believing that you can do something. Um, and it happens. So, and it has happened. So the options. Oh, it's great news, mate. Yeah, it's great yeah, to see. The options are good. So I can go treatment free. Um, I'm not sure when, but it will be in the next sort of six, six to 12 months. It'll look to reduce the, uh, reduce the, the oral chemotherapy, um, which would be good because it does have side effects. Um, again, I've managed those quite well, but fatigue's probably the main one. Um, yeah, tiredness is probably the biggest one, a few skin issues to start, but again, I've dealt with it quite well. And I think that is a, um, I think that's a result of my age because I'm young for my diagnosis, but also my, my current health and, and level of fitness. Um, my body seems to be quite resilient. So yeah, things are good. No, it's great to see. And, you know, I think looking back to last year, you know, it's fair to say, you know, there was a massive um, response when you kind of went sort of public with the, with what you were facing and, um, you know, from your friends and family, of course, but sort of from the wider community in Guernsey and the, the sort of football community, how much did that mean to you at the time and how much has it helped you kind of get to this point? I've definitely become a more emotional person since becoming diagnosed, but that was just, I've never experienced anything like it. Um, yeah, I, I was in two minds to do the financial support because it's, I think everyone would agree it's hard to ask for help. Um, you know, and you've got your pride in there and you think, well, I'm going to do this by myself, but 
Guernsey just seems to offer something different in terms of community support. And I need, I was in the unknown. I didn't know if my insurance was going to cover everything. Um, and it still doesn't, I'm still doing co-payment here. So that's a very big thing in, in the UAE is, um, you, you co-pay on a lot of stuff. Um, there's a percentage that you pay on different things, whether that's the meds, the consultations, the lab diagnostics, the blood tests. Um, so I'm still going to hospital, um, not as regularly, but yeah, I'm still there regularly, but yeah, I posted that just given page and I put a year's worth of meds on there. Um, and I could not believe it. People were just messaging me like, have you seen the page? Have you seen the page? It's gone up and up and up and up. And I could not believe it. And there were people who didn't even know me and it just spread, you know, and that just shows the power of community and the power of sport and the power that football can have. Um, you know, everyone that was linked with GFC, everyone that was linked, old teammates that I played with, uh, new teammates that come in, you know, my school links from teaching at St. Samson's and then it spread a little bit in Dubai as well. So I had a lot of the parents from school that, that supported me. Um, it was amazing. And yeah, I just could not believe what came through on that page. And again, the power of social media as well, because I'm all the way in Dubai. I've been away for six years and you know, people were just there straight away. And it, yeah, it, it definitely helped me get through my recovery. Um, most definitely got help. And it was just nice to see, like, it was just a nice feeling. Um, but yeah, really emotional. I remember sat in my, cause we've moved now, but in my old apartment and just, yeah, full of emotion, sort of everything. It was everything, happy, sad, mm. proud. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was a crazy time. And then I think that probably triggered the, the um the charity stuff i thought well you know what let's uh let's let's take this a little bit further and let's try and help others you know um because i did have a few people who spoke to me with a similar condition who'd just been diagnosed and i seemed to become someone who helped them in a bad situation and sort of guiding them in the right way and then they were also worried to ask for help and yeah i've linked up with a few people who have, who have had different cancer experiences um, but yeah, I've just tried to make the best out of a, of a bad situation, but yeah, the, the support was unreal, unbelievable. And you mentioned that fundraising, you're going to be taking it kind of to the next level this summer with the, with the cycle, um, from John O'Groats to Land's End or Land's End to John O'Groats? Yeah. Second one, Land's End to John O'Groats. <laughs> Which one's easier? Uh, well, thought it was downhill from, from North to South, but <laughs> yeah. unfortunately not. Um, yeah, it's going to be a long old cycle. I've never, I've never ever been an endurance athlete. I've been, I was a middle distance runner when I was at school, and obviously football is just stop, start, high intensity. Um, so yeah, to sit on the bike for sort of, it'll be uh, four to six hours a day, hundred miles a day, um, is going to be tough. Um, I've been out training a lot. Uh, it's easier to train here than than the boys in Guernsey, but yeah, we've. Um, yeah, we've linked up with Leukemia UK. So anything that goes through the Just Giving page is uh, directly um, paid to Leukemia UK. Um, so, yeah, we're going to cycle Land's End to John O'Groats. We're going to do it 10, 11 days. It'll be about 100 miles a day. So you're looking between 1,000 to 1,200 miles because we, um, we haven't finished the route just yet, or I haven't finished the route just yet. Um, so, so yeah, we've got myself, so Chris Major's on there, old GFC lad, he's living in Dubai. Um, so we cycle together most weeks. There's another lad I work with, Jordan Williams. He's a, he's a very good triathlete. 
Uh, I've got both my bro- brothers. So Mark Isabel, um, he's recently done the London Marathon. Uh, Gerald Isabel is my oldest brother. So he did, he was involved with the Tour de Cez and the Tour de, I think it's Tour de Roses, the, the cycling um, in Europe. Um, Ray Garcia, who is one of Gerald's friends, he recently cycled through France and Spain uh, by himself. So again, experienced cyclist. Um, and then Richard Perrier, um, he's a rower, but yeah, they've all jumped on a bike. Uh, I think they had their first training ride together last week. So yeah, exciting. And then we have two very valuable ladies who are helping us. Um, so Dawn Thomas, who I knew from GFC through Mike, obviously, who was our team physio for years. Um, and then Sarah, um, who's going to help us um, with her charity and sort of fundraising experience. And they're going to be our support car and they're going to drive the whole way, whole way through the UK. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. We were, we need to book the long boat, stick the bikes on. Then we got to get the train with our bikes across from Portsmouth, I think, to, to Land's End. Then we'll go through Cornwall, up through Bristol. And then we'll be stopping off in guest houses and hotels and all the way up to John O'Groats in Northern Scotland. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a nice to see the country. It'll be a good challenge. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully we raise a lot of money. Um, but we are looking for sponsors. Um, we do want to try and get a kit sponsor. Um, so if there is anyone in Guernsey that's interested, please contact us. Um, you can grab me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and our Instagram page is for leukemia. So we had our walk in Guernsey as a sort of a warm-up tester event, um, which was quite successful. And we had some nice donations for that. Um, but yeah, Land's End's John O'Groats is going to be the big one. And then looking at doing Aconcagua next January 2024, um, which is one of the highest uh, mountains that you can you can still hike up without the oxygen and, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, the main focus is for, is for Ledgeog. So yeah, it should be yeah, fun. Yeah. We actually need another cyclist if there's anyone out there. We're on seven and we would like an even eight number just for the the peloton so if there's any keen cyclists, i would volunteer but i think i'll hold you back <laughs> any <laughs> i'll be hanging on the back keen cyclists listening then uh, feel free to jump on we could definitely do all more but eight's a good number um so yeah it's just a case of training yeah. now um trying to get as many sponsors in as possible finding a kit sponsor um and then uh, there's a quiz night actually coming up but all the tables are fu- uh, fully booked so yeah little events here and there that will pop up in the next sort of six months before we go um it started out as just a cycle with some university friends in the uk and i said let's do three days and then i looked at sort of uk cycles and then i fell down a hole of different cycles you could do in the uk and i thought you know what i'm just going to do the whole thing i'm just going to do the whole of the united kingdom so yeah bottom to top um yeah so we're aiming for 11 days hopefully we'll get it done in 10 um but we need to figure out what we're going to do when we get to uh to john o'groats because I haven't got a clue. <laughs> oh, you've got a few months to, to work it out. Now, eight middle-aged men in Lycra stuck at the most northerly tip of Scotland wondering where to go next. So, yeah. <laughs> a sitcom. We'll, we'll think about that when we get there. Well, hopefully we'll um, we'll catch up with you nearer the time on that and um, uh, yeah, and touch base. Um, I, well, I've got you've got to talk football because, you know, you had some great moments when you're involved here in Guernsey. Um, ratty goals and some great moments with GFC. I mean, how much do you still kind of keep, um, keep track of what's going on, you know, with Ireland football? Yeah. Every, every week without doubt, even the pre I still look, yeah, I've got, 
I've pretty much got Guernsey Press Sport uh, open on my tabs at, at, at work. Um, so, That's good to know. That's good yeah, to know. I watch it every day, keep tabs on the boys, always look back at the local Prio scores. I'm always interested. And it's nice to see, obviously, students that I taught who are stepping up to play Prio level. And um, there's even kids that I had for like GFC soccer camp when they were five years old who are now playing for GFC. Um, but yeah, some really good memories. It was great. I loved it. It was nice to be there from the start. And I think if I, if I was in Guernsey, I'd still be, I'd still be involved and still be playing because I'm still keeping myself fit. I played, uh, played pretty much every season out here. I took a break, obviously, with my diagnosis, but, um, yeah, I sent, um, Tony Vance a message asking him about the Island games, actually, because I could play the second half of the season here and offer my services because they look like they're a little bit short on defenders. Um, from well, I'm sure you would take you up on that. Yeah, well, the offer's there. I, I haven't had anything like <laughs> that yet. I'm just trying to figure out who's coaching the Island Games squad. So if they are listening, I'm ready. Oh, well, we might see you sooner rather than later then. Yeah. And was that, you know, I mentioned that Marathi goal. Was that, was that the best moment you had on a pitch mm. in the Islands? Yeah. Yeah, there's no feeling like that. And I can't describe it. That was... That was unbelievable because um, I didn't I, I didn't play in too many Marathis. Um I was obviously involved um, on the bench a couple of times, but I had a really good season that season. Um, yeah, from left back came in and, and you, there's nothing better than doing it at Springfield in front of the Jersey lot. It was just and we had a really good crowd that day, I remember, and they were all behind the Jersey goal. Um, someone crossed it. I think Dave Rioi might have gone down the right and crossed it in. And yeah, it sort of bubbled and somehow I've put it in the bottom corner, but we really dominated Jersey that day. And yeah, there wasn't not much of a better feeling and to get a goal in there was, was brilliant. But yeah, I seem to pop up with a few worldy goals, really. Um, <laughs> I guess you do as a defender because you don't get many chances. And far between, you've got to make them count. Yeah, yeah, they have to be good ones if you do get in those positions. So um, yeah, that was, a, that was a big moment. It was good. Um, and followed on from that, I had a great season. But yeah, that's when I got injured in the February, um, snapped my ITB. So that was sort of the deciding moment to leave Guernsey. It was just a big injury and I was in a cast for, or in a brace, should I say, for for a long time and updated my CV. And it was just a more of a spontaneous decision, really. I'd done seven years at my school and I thought it was a good time to change. So um, yeah, it was. it was. It was the right time. I'm also changing careers as well. So I'm not, um, I'm leaving teaching in March. So that's why I'll have the option to come back to Guernsey in, in sort of May, June, July, because I'll be a little bit more flexible. So That could be very good timing. Yeah, well, hey, we just got to find out who's coaching that Island Games, um, Island Games squad. Oh, brilliant. Well, thanks for, for spending some time. Good luck with uh, with all the training um, on the bike. And yeah, we'll, we'll see you back in Guernsey and, um, and touch base before you before you head out for that um, for that challenge. And um, yeah, good luck with everything. Nice one. Thanks, Tony. Gareth, you've seen a bit of Jack over the years. Most of him is a youngster. And he is someone who's made a big contribution to, to Guernsey football. Yeah, no, Jack was always a, a pretty classy player, actually. He always, always seemed to be one of those players who had a bit of time on the ball. He always um, uh, could read how the game was going, very good awareness. And um, yeah, he, um, I think he was at North when I used to watch. I watched him as a kid. And then sort of he um, joined Rangers later on, I think, in his more senior career. But uh, yeah, he was always someone I enjoyed watching just because he seemed to just be that extra bit of class about him. And um, 
yeah, playing for the island was always almost like a natural progression for him from a very early age. So, um, yeah, it's good to good to know that he's back looking to sort of get back into action locally as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he uh, if he does make it back and um, and gets involved on the pitch because, uh, yeah, there's a really busy end to the season. I'm sure um, Tony Vance and uh, whoever's coaching the Island Games squad um, wouldn't mind being able to call on someone of Jack's experience and ability. So, uh, But anyway, fantastic to hear um, that he's doing well um, with his recovery and um, yeah, he's got big fundraising plans for the summer. So we'll um, definitely keep track of that and um, wish him all the best and all the cyclists uh, all the best with that uh, endeavour this summer. Right. I think that's uh, it from us for this week. We'll be back next Monday with another Guernsey Press football podcast reflecting on that busy week for GFC and the return of the FNB Premier League. Um, our thanks once again to Rehoy and Son for their support of the show. And don't forget, pick up a paper six days a week for the very best local football coverage. In fact, you can read a bit more about Sylvan's win over St. Martin's in Tuesday's paper match report for you there. And there'll be, of course, more coverage throughout the week of everything that's going on in the local game. Um, right. Cheers, Gareth. Uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers, Sonny.